Like if we're not doing something that's adding, if we're not introducing e-commerce in a way that feels authentic and people are excited about then then I don't want to do it. That's Brad Luttrell, co-founder and CEO of Go Wild. Go Wild is an outdoor social media and social commerce platform. And they're a startup out of Louisville, Kentucky. Brad is a force. The first time I spoke with him was back in April of 2018. And back then, um, he was just a guest on my other podcast, the Where to Hunt podcast. I remember getting off the Skype call uh, after the interview with him and telling my wife that same night, I just spoke with one of the most awesome people I've met in a very long time. And I was so jacked. I couldn't even sleep. He gave me so many uh, ideas on how to work on some of the businesses that I was doing. Uh, and just got me super jacked and motivated. And since then, Brad and I have stayed in touch. Uh, We either talk hunting or business or both. They're usually related. And uh, he's helped coach me through some of my business endeavors. I'm excited to hear his story of how he became an entrepreneur and really capture his captivating, ambitious, and motivating character. And trust me, his tenacity is very contagious. You're listening to the Honest to Goodness podcast, and I'm your host, Eric Clark. This is a podcast that captures the stories from entrepreneurs around the world and their journey of being and becoming an entrepreneur. Look, if you enjoy the stories we're sharing, it means so much if you could share your thoughts in review. As a kid, I had a lot of interest in creating my own thing. I almost think a lot of my interest is less about the entrepreneurial side of being my own boss, and it's more about creation. I, I, my first memory of anything that I was trying to monetize was a, a magazine. And I, I had a, 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 like a comic I was making with pizza man. And I had, like I was, I was, I loved pizza as a kid and I liked to draw. So this made total sense as a business I could be passionate about. Right. And I made like, you know, two, two different, uh, volumes or whatever of pizza man and realized that none of my friends had money to buy them. So it wasn't a very profitable business model. Right. But it's funny. I mean, like in high school and stuff, you know, I had the like mowing the lawn type jobs, but really where I found a lot of, um, that started to strike me from an entrepreneurial standpoint was in college. I was in college when newspapers were going through the the great recession and I was in journalism school sitting here looking at journalism getting decimated. And I was, I was the proponent to get us off of the old way, which was to print was priority. And then at the end of the night, after all the print had gone to bed, we would upload the stories to online. Online did not happen until print was done. And, you know, I was like, we should be doing this stuff real time. And I was a big advocate for that. And actually, funny enough, built our first website out of like a WordPress template. But I I mean, I was in there hacking on the CSS styling and all the code and everything. It was awful looking back and it got hacked. So that shows why you should hire developers. Um, But the, you know, we, we launched this site and it really like at one point we ESPN was quoting us as a newspaper because we had beat them on a story and they knew about it because we had gotten to the punch and gotten it online and they could see it. And, you know, that was a cool moment. And I, I liked owning that and creating something that even my professors at the time were like, print is where the money is. That's not how it should be done. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, my personality, I'm very contrarian at times. Like I just don't like to be told what to do. And you know, this, this idea that, you know, journalism should always like print's never going to go away. And then, uh, you know, and again, I think it's harder to think like this now, but 2007 people were just in a very different mindset than they are now. I know it doesn't feel that far like long ago, but 
you know, coming into that time period, you know, our, a lot of our professors still very much believed that there was not going to be any problem with journal, like journalism didn't have any, anything to worry about. And then next year kicks off the great recession. And, and, and then like on my internships, people are getting laid off like crazy, right? I come back from a, a vacation and half the staff is gone. It's like, oh my God, is this what I want to do? Uh, is, you know, and then I, I worked for two years in kind of freelancing. And, and in that time, I, you know, I tried to start a, a, a music magazine online and that failed. I made $7 over nine months and I realized I was not good at that. I was like, do you really want to be the world's best manufacturer of trombone oil? You know, it's, <laughs> your market is too small, right? Um, but, but from there, I started a wedding photo agency and I actually had that up and running. We're in three cities. We had multiple people shooting for us and I was making good money. And I just realized that, you know, this was not a scalable business for me in terms of, my income. So I actually quit that, shut it down altogether and got into advertising, man. And that's where, you know, I've just, my whole career is a series of pivots. I started in social media there. I went to PR at that same agency. I got fired at that agency for trying to start another business, which is a whole other story. But, you know, I think I, like if you, if I were to boil this down, my, when I look back, I just have all these moments of like really enjoying creating something. I used to love to draw. I, you know, I, I like to play music. I, I used to like to write songs. Um, and I see a lot of that coming out and what we get to do today. pizza man comic, lawn mowing, wedding photography, a music business that netted $7 of profit. You know, Brad even got fired from uh, one of the companies he was working for, for trying to start an alternative business on the side. You can tell by listening to Brad speak that one way or another, he was going to become an entrepreneur. He told the next company he applied for that he planned on starting his own business. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never uh, told someone that in an interview, and I certainly have never heard an applicant say that in an interview. Uh, you know, he challenges the status quo everywhere he goes. When print was still a prominent way to advertise, Brad saw where the market was headed, and he, he insisted the company switch gears by building a website that you know he took the responsibility to do, and it eventually got the attention of ESPN. It takes a number of tries at a number of different endeavors until you find your stride. So let's hear how Brad left that job, the last job, <laughs> and built Go Wild. He really didn't know what he was doing. At least that's what he says. And uh, he taught himself how to approach an entire new market and space. And he pitched investors. And he pitched the wrong investors initially. But he learned. Uh, he used some of the negative conversations that happened there as a chip for motivation. It's a great approach. It's funny. Somebody said to me one time, they said, man, it must have been so easy to launch a company in the outdoor space with all these contacts that you had. And I was like, dude, I, di I didn't know anybody. I didn't even think of the outdoor space as an industry, I just like to off road and hunt and, and fish, even though I suck at fishing. Um, you know, there, it wasn't like that. I've, I've really had to focus on building out my network. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's funny cause hustle gets such a bad rap these days. People really get mad when you talk about hustle and they're like, Oh, stop the hustle porn. But 
I'm sorry. I built a company hustling. Like I woke up at 5 a.m. and I I would work before I went to work. And then once my kids were asleep, I worked until 1 a.m. a lot of nights to get this thing up and off the ground. And so early days, there was a lot of of grind to get to that point. And I didn't know what I was doing. I literally started Go Wild by Googling how to raise money for an idea. This was a new concept to me. I'd never built that kind of company. And I now realize why second time founders get twice the valuation that first timers do is because we screwed a lot of stuff up along the way. But when I first started pitching people for money, I I mean, I I didn't understand, you know, I put a ton of research into reading what other successful entrepreneurs had done with pitch decks before. But there's so much conflicting information out there and it varies um, even market to market. You know, the expectations in the Valley are just totally different than here in the Midwest. And, you know, a lot of the guys I was pitching in the early days were real estate investors. They weren't the right people to be talking to. And, you know, I got told so many times by people like that, that this wasn't going to work. This wasn't a good idea. Uh, We didn't know what we were doing. If it's such a good idea, why has somebody else done it? You know, uh, you don't have the tech team to do this. You, You know, this is, there's no audience here for this. There's no industry for this. I mean, I had so much feedback and in, in a, a lot of ways, I, I guess I could have, and I'm not patting myself on the back here, but I, I could have let that kill me, right? Like, I, and I, I did leave a lot of these meetings frustrated, and I still remember a lot of those people in those moments. And, uh, you know, I, I we kind of have a, a joke here at, at the office of, um, you know, the, all the people that have like tried to belittle us instead of just saying, it's not for me, I hope you do well, which is what an investor should do. Um, there's been people that have just told us like, you're going to fail at this. And I've had people call my other investors and say, this was a bad idea. You shouldn't have given money into it. And it's, it's like amazing the level that some of this has gone to. And I, I don't forget those, those moments I've used all this, like, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I don't know that people should have that attitude. I don't know that they should carry the grudge, but I get, I get motivated by being the underdog. I remember the first time somebody wrote a $25,000 check to us. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so much money. And then as the checks grow, you kind of start to lose perspective on reality. Uh, you know, here I am like, you know, still, um, in no way wealthy myself, people who don't do this stuff think that that money goes straight in your pocket and that's not how this works. Um, you know, I'm still very much, uh, you know, living in the same house, driving the same old cars type deal. Um, and, and, but yet my perspective on like a big check now is totally different with the company. But so, so like things have kind of elevated and, uh, you know, the, the, I don't want to say the caliber investor, but like the, the size of a check and investor rights goes up as your company matures too. And you, you're just, uh, for me, I've always kind of just been in this, uh, you know, as you're always looking at something and being like, I can't imagine the reality they live in. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're appreciative of the difference in their life and yours. And, you know, I, um, I try not, you know, you, don't, you always want to act like you've been there before and, and not be too enamored with, with um, you know, somebody stroking a really big check and, and uh, how geeking out you are on the inside with that. But I still get really excited, you know, when somebody decides to invest in us, I take it very personal. And um, just like I don't let some of those, uh, those people who naysayed us in the beginning, I don't let that go because it motivates me. I also am incredibly motivated by the people who did invest in us in the early days. And I had nothing. I had a terrible pitch deck and these crazy valuation expectations and horrible financials. And honestly, I clearly didn't know what I was doing to a level, but people still believed in us. You know, they believed in me and Zach and Donovan and Chris. And they're like, I had investors say, I don't know how you guys are actually going to make money, but I like you guys and I believe in you guys and I think you'll figure it out.
You know, one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is being able to relate to the guests that I interview. And selfishly, I tie things back to my journey. It offers another lens or perspective, and it helps jostle things loose in my mind that I might be stuck on. I hope that's the case for you too as a listener. I found myself doing pitches to investors for my GPS hunting app, and it is not easy. In fact, it's so difficult that I still haven't received a check. But like Brad, I use the chip on my shoulder as motivation to keep going, keep pressing, and keep growing to learn what and where I need to improve. And something I enjoy seeing is Brad's journey and how he's enabled his team to create successful results. And all while having real genuine fun, not fake bullshit from some companies that do, you know, beer Friday or comfy sacks and other gimmicky stuff that gets called quote unquote culture. Culture is one of the most difficult words in the English language to actually define, but I think Brad gets it and he's building a strong culture at Wild. You know, I've talked to other people at his company and they not only love the work, they love the company, the people, the mission and their customers. Yeah, I had no concept of culture at all because I was coming from my own businesses fresh out of school. I'd always work for myself as a contractor. And then I got propelled into advertising. And for a long time, I liked my job uh, because I, I was, you know, I was like, oh, this is cool. They have beer in the fridge or this is cool. They let people bring their dogs. And, you know, I was I was getting um, kind of blinded by perks. And over time, it became apparent to me that like, you know, some things weren't valued uh, as much like time off um, or or any amount of flexibility. You know, if you left five minutes earlier, you're getting mean emails or, um, you know, passive aggressive comments from from people. And, you know, there was there was no looking out for what was right for the team. And, um, you know, it had started to really strike a chord with me that that culture isn't what I thought it was. Right. And so when I I got fired uh, for trying to start another company, as I mentioned, and I went to another agency and I kind of showed up and I was like, look, I'm going to start another company. That's got to be okay." And the other thing is, I really want to be involved in our culture here and, and help define what that is. And what's funny for a long time. I was just doing what I thought was cool the first time before I realized that like, oh, I'm not getting paid what I should be or, oh, my, my raise was like a, you know, $50 a paycheck, which wasn't very much, right? Like, you know, those, I just started supplementing with the same things. I basically the same perks. And over time, I, I started to really focus on culture and to research culture and what culture was. And I realized none of this stuff matters. Like culture, culture, if your culture cannot exist in 2020 in remote life, you don't have a good culture. If your culture is completely reliant upon you being in an office building where you have foosball tables and you have bean bags, like that's not culture. Those are just things, right? Culture is none of that. Culture is how your team treats each other. Culture is how your team responds to urgency. Culture is is how comfortable employees are with telling their boss they're wrong. And and so, you know, I got really hyper-focused onto this in, in advertising and you know, I think, I think I've always been a little more driven to lead just by because I'm a little more outspoken in general, or I've become more outspoken. I definitely didn't grow up that way. Um, but the, you know, as I've, I've become more of an advocate for how I would like to see things for right or wrong. And then if I'm wrong, I'll learn and kind of keep iterating, right? Like that's kind of my style. Um, you know, I've, as I've advocated for uh, culture, and as I kind of became in control of my own team at that second agency, as I became creative director, you know, it's really started to foster a culture of communication and and trying to 
build a culture of having a team that felt like they could always talk to me. And, you know, there's still things that I would look back on now and realize like I was kind of babying my team a lot. And I just kind of, I thought my job was always to shelter them from my bosses. And, you know, as a creative, I wanted to give them their little place where they could, you know, always work in peace. And, And now I can look back and see like a lot of that was really, you know, depriving them from creative feedback that maybe they needed. And I wasn't building a culture in in that time to where, you know, if, if, if you prop people up and tell them they're great and they never have any expectation of feedback, that's not a good culture either. Because now if they get feedback, maybe they didn't do a good job. You know, people don't always hit home runs. You need to have a culture where you can tell that to them. You need to have a culture where they expect feedback and everybody understands this isn't about you. It's about the overall product that we output. And we have been hyper-focused on this at Go Wild from from the very beginning. We are super flat. You know, I I don't even know people's titles. We have a guy who's actually a senior backend developer here and I forgot he was a senior backend developer because it's like, no, there's just Ben and Mike. Like they operate extremely flat. Uh, One of them has more experience than the other one. On, in terms of a resume, but we don't delineate anything between them. Like it, you, you just, when you operate that way, you know, now they can share with each other more, more openly and, and they do. And it's awesome. You know, and, and the rising tide raises all ships. There's no expectation of, well, I'm, I'm the senior and this is my job. And I, I I'm the one that should have gotten that task. It's like, no, this is what got the job done fastest and best. And, and so, you know, we've been really, I, I've just kind of been constantly, researching through reading. I know you, I read a lot. Um, you know, I, 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 I audio book a lot just to be transparent. Um, I am like a ferocious audio book listener. Um, and, and the other thing is, um, you know, historically I've got books that I've just latched onto like creativity Inc. And I've built a, our culture around what I liked about what Pixar did. You know, a lot of the reason Pixar came in and kicked Disney's ass was their culture. They had a culture of expectation, a culture of creative feedback. And the expectation was that if your product sucks, you're going to get told it sucks until it doesn't. And, and so we've, you know, very much anchored our culture in that mindset here. So if you're sitting on an idea, whether it's big or small, uh, you know, software or product or service or retail, whatever that might be, if you're thinking about doing something with that and going down this journey of becoming an entrepreneur, I hope this episode gave you some value, taught you some things, spoke to you, had you scratching your head, maybe laughing, whatever it is. And uh, I'll leave you with one other excerpt from our interview with Brad. And it's a piece of advice that he has. And if you like the episode, give us a rating, give us a review, like the feedback, want to know that we're doing a good job, that we're putting out good content. If there's something you want to hear, a topic, a subject, a person, let me know. So my advice to anybody, if you're early in your days, is to really make sure you understand the market and how big it can be. You know, just because you are hyper passionate about something doesn't mean that it's something that you can take and and sell. I get approached by so many people who have product ideas on the outdoor side. And, you know, there's only 10 or 15 million hunters in any given year in, in the country, for example, most of them are just doing whitetail. So let's take it down to like that remaining three or 4 million. And then like, let's say only, you know, I'm going to make up a number. I don't know that this is accurate. Let's say 3 million people hunt elk. And then you get into a subset of those type of people 
you know, it's like you keep refining these markets down and refining these markets down and people may have a really cool freaking product for that subset of a subset of a subset of a, uh, an audience. And they don't think about the economics of the fact that it's like, okay, there's only like half a million people in the country who would buy this product. This product's probably going to last them for five years. How long can I, what can I really turn this into? You know, and I, like if it's a $12 tchotchke item, I can tell you right now, that's probably not a very good business to chase, right? Like that, what is your scale potential? That's something I realize with a lot of groups, like you can be hyper passionate about something and you can build an awesome product that is not going to be a business that can provide for you, for your family. There could be no return here. Um, it might be something that, you know, someone would scoop up along the way for essentially your cost, but is that really what you want to dedicate five years to? I think a lot of people don't get in the economics enough of truly being realistic with themselves of what the market share can be. And, um, you know, sometimes, Hey, disruption happens. So you can completely come in with a new product and reinvent it like Yeti did with the cooler, right? Who would have thought people would pay that kind of money for a cooler, but they did it in a way that was different and totally disruptive. Um, I just, I, I but the, the, they did it in a market that mattered and, and a lot of people use coolers. So just make sure you're looking at my advice to you is to really make sure that you're thinking through your expansion and your actual, um, your actual market, you know, all the way from your branding, you know, don't limit yourself in your branding to your, your potential five years down the road. 